on the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are rolling out the misery porn for The Handmaid's Tale Season 3, trying to remember events that happened in 1998 for Netflix's revival of Armistead Mopin's Tales of the City, and finally getting to watch Killing Eve Season 2. Now that the Americans are done with it, the BBC have pulled their act together and the show is making its triumphant arrival on British TV. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, a show that won't be reviewing the new season of Fear the Walking Dead this week due to what can only be described as zombie racism on the part of my two co-hosts. That's right. I'm calling you out. You are undeadist. No one cares. What is happening? James is complaining that we're not reviewing Fear the Walking Dead season whatever. What is it? Season 78? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, see, mean, see what this this discrimination this discrimination against the Walking Dead franchise it's, it is I've got a review shy <laughs> <sighs> that's right fine alright well first among this pair of dead hating pro-lifers no that doesn't really work does it uh, <laughs> the the first of you two is a woman who in the event of a zombie apocalypse would I think do surprisingly well I'm saying yeah I uh, would she would swiftly establish, I'm saying, a compound of strung-out survivors who carry out her every twisted command, and you would rule over the post-apocalyptic wasteland of London like a feudal warlord, only in impractical shoes. You're Negan, is what I'm saying. What are you going on about? <laughs> uh, uh, who, who was the listener who accused you of bullying me? Somebody who clearly needs to pay closer attention to this show because I wouldn't say bullying you, I'd say giving you what you deserve. Did you or did you not, seconds before we went live, threaten to throw hot tea in my face? (laughs) This is factually true. I mean, it was a hypothetical. Hypothetically, I really (laughs) wanted to throw hot tea in your face and watch it melt off your skull. Uh Uh-huh. But it was a hypothetically, (laughs) I'd really like to throw hot tea in your face and watch your skin come off your skull. It's Terry White. Hi. Uh, joining Terry Negan and myself uh, is a man who I think I'm safe in saying would fare less well if the dead <laughs> rose from their graves. Uh, Ooh, armed, armed only. No, no, it's nothing to do with your height. I'd okay. say armed only with a, an exclusive wardrobe <laughs> oh, okay. and a cadre of famous friends, many of whom, let's be honest, would be surely be zombified by this point. Uh, I see you kind of leaving the cast early, but getting a really good death scene. You know, sort of like you'd be gnawed on by zombie Derma O'Leary or kind of undead <laughs> Jodie Whittaker. That's that's how I think. You know, n- not ideal, but but memorable. That's fair enough. It's yeah. Boyd Hilton. Hello. Thank you. That Rolodex would be a a very good weapon. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's yeah. true. You could beat them to you couldn't yeah. beat them. To Rolodex death. death is is a good. Um, that's a good idea. Yeah, band name. Good band name. <laughs> Ro- we are Rolodex Death. That's a great band name. John Wick Four. Rolodex Death scene. Indeed. Right. <laughs> so moving. Oh, you are, we're rambling on hastily. On. Your introduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Fine. So, what have you? What have you two dreadful humans been watching? Fuck knows. Do you know what? I'm. <laughs> wow. That is brilliant. This is going to be a short like... podcast. <laughs> like, and also, that was said as if, how dare you ask that question? Okay. Um, well, do you know why I got really angry at him in my head then? Because we have been on press um, for. I can't speak Ever. either. Forever. We've been We've been on press with Empire and the next issue of Pilot. Have we not? We and have. it was a four day week because of the bank holidays. So the reason I was looking at you with absolute fury <laughs> is because I was like, how dare he ask me this? He knows what my life has been. But what I will say is that I have been watching the Thatcher documentary series Ooh. on BBC. Thatcher, a very British revolution, um, which 
which is about the rise and fall of Margaret Thatcher. Um, I am the granddaughter of a minor, so I don't know why I thought this was a way to relax um, over the long weekend. But very good documentary series. Uh, did not make me like Margaret Thatcher more, but who knew? Very good. Magazine's gone to press. She didn't come good. out as, as an, 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 an unlikely hero in this particular... No, I mean, the unlikeliest hero ever. No, she did not. Okay, all right, fine. Boy, what have you been watching? Uh, right, Chernobyl. Yes. We reviewed um, the first... Well, we reviewed as much... Have, they, have we seen the first two, I think, when we reviewed We it? reviewed it, yeah. When we yeah. started, yeah. we interviewed Jared. the great Jared Harris. I've now watched the whole thing. Fucking hell is all I can say. I actually think this is up there now. I'm, I'm, it reminds me, what we were saying last week about... Um, when they see us, you know the, yes. that incredible show, the Ava DuVernay. Um, it's a similar has a similar impact for me, Chernobyl. Now, if when you watch the whole thing, it is absolutely incredible. And they both and and I think what they've got in common is they take this true story, which for individuals involved was absolutely obviously life changing, disastrous, life ending for many people in the case of Chernobyl, and it's told in such an incredibly authentic brilliantly made way and actors and everything it's like I can't even begin to, to see how they went about making these shows and the, mm. with Chernobyl the, the, it's incredible by the end of it honestly you've got to finish watching it because I think it's like up there now with like some of the best TV ever made <laughs> I really do it's Boyd. so extraordinary um, and the way it kind of looks at every single element of it so there's a whole, you know, in the final episode that kind of explains what happened. There's a mm. kind of meticulous explanation of every single step of the way. It is incredible. So Chernobyl, you've got to see the whole thing. But have you become more impressed with it as it's gone on? Yeah, because I, I can't. Have. I know you liked it, right? But you I weren't really liked it. quite so effusive. I, yeah, I think, yeah, it's, as it goes on, the, the achievement of it is, is it hits home more and more. Yeah, just because... Because because the because the first episode plunges you into the incident, and that's very much a, a unique thing. And then each episode has a different kind of has a different way of dealing with it. It might focus on individuals, you know, that and how, what what happened to them. Then in the end, it's focusing on the whole big picture and the court and, and the court case surrounding it. It's just it's just unbelievably brilliant. So yeah, Chernobyl. And I want to quickly mention uh, the Last Watch. Have you seen? Have you heard? So the Last Watch is the documentary about Game yeah. of Thrones. Uh, made by Jeannie Finlay. And Sky put this in the schedule really late in the day because I didn't know about this before. Um, even be like, it was very close to going to press, you know, with my weekly magazine. Yeah. Um, and now it's on Sky Atlantic Now TV. You can watch, it's on, you can watch it on Catch Up. It's fucking brilliant as mm. well. Have mm. you seen it? I haven't, but it's on my, it's, it's on my watch list so for the weekend. I think just because it, it shows you Again, from all the different people's point of view, there's a, there's an extra who gets quite a lot of screen time in it, well, a kind of Irish guy who's been in the show from the first beginning in, in extra and different kind of sex within the Game of Thrones yeah. universe. There's, you know, you see Kit Harrington um, giving a speech on his last day and he's doing his last thing that's so moving, especially subsequently now what's happened to him. Um, you know, he's gone into rehab effectively. And we, I don't want to speculate on, on, on his on his mental health or anything, but you see see how absolutely intense he is about the whole experience. And there's an incredible table read scene, which includes the moment when Varys dies and Paul Conley Hill is that his name? Yeah, Conley. They're like yeah. his his colleagues. Like, and he is holding on to him because he's about to 
cry and is so moved by his own death scene. And there's and um, Daenerys this being stabbed by Jon Snow. They read that bit and she's like grinning and he's like crying as well. It's so brilliant to see. And I and I think what it ran, but it ran the point home to me, which is that again, I think those people who want it remade, you know, all these morons, <laughs> so furiously unhappy um, with it. It's like just watch this and you'll see they were doing that. They were doing what they thought needed to be done with yeah. the show, and the the achievement is incredible. So yeah. That's, that's when they did the watching. the table read that for that uh, for that bit. You know, was it was it all the dialogue from the show, or did he, yeah. for example, say to her, oh, you God. know, I know we didn't earn this from a character art point of view, but I'm going to kill you anyway. Is that was that part Fuck of it? Off. No, and you I think do you know what far. you pushed me too far, and I am going to say this now. I was holding back, but this documentary <laughs> underlines everything that I was right about and you're wrong about. <laughs> so put that in your pipe and smoke. <laughs> oh, fun! What time. have you been watching, James? Uh, see, I don't really have a lot to bring to the table. You've been this week. rewatching the rewatch of the rewatch. I am now into season four, halfway through season five of Sons of Anarchy, so I'm storming ahead with this one. I've got to the point where it gets a little darker when Jax takes over the club, and I think this is we're in the kind of like the slight downslope now for Sons of Anarchy, which is a shame because I've gone through the best of it. It's because they keep Ron Perlman along. Frankly, t- they keep him around longer than they needed to. Don't you agree? You agree, don't you? Yeah. Um, so that's good. I also watched the episode Data Law from season one of Star Trek: The Next Generation, which, as with all the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes I've watched recently has not aged well and is a bit shit. Preposterous. Uh, that's the first one where you meet Data's twin brother, Law, and of course, Boyd, as you will know, the first encounter with the crystalline entity. So that's, uh, that's, that's pretty good stuff. I mean, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that was it, really. We've been filmed, by the way. Yeah, well, I don't know why. Terry, Terry, since we've done this podcast, Terry has sat here. She took at least half a dozen <laughs> selfies, and now she's filming me and Boyd for I can only imagine what for reason. her own for her own joy. Yeah, it's a little bit of a late night entertainment for me. <laughs> oh, know what I mean? Okie dokie. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's move on to Funny or Dire, for which I watched something this week, which I have been putting Still off going. for a very long time. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Stop. The- <laughs> The point of Funny or Diet is that you choose and then we all watch it and then we all talk about it. <laughs> you appear to have forgotten to tell me and yeah, Boyd. You've totally gone, gone well, rogue. In another shit show of a franchise from James. <laughs> no, I will point out that on numerous occasions did I tell you in advance what we were doing and neither of you at any point made any effort to watch them regardless. That is so t- totally is not true. absolutely the case. And, and so I just now press on with it solo because I know you won't watch wow, it. Okay, wow. next week I'll give you one to watch and we'll see if you watch it. But do carry on. I will. Right. I'm fine. I'm going to include Boyd because I can guarantee I'm willing to stake Boyd's life on the fact (laughs) that you definitely haven't watched this. Is it something geeky? Is it got spaceships and fucking like fantasy witches, goblins? I mean, all of the above. Yeah. But uh, Boyd, how do you feel about Rick and Morty? Oh, yeah. Do you know what? I, I've never really got into Rick and Morty, but obviously I'm aware that it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the Empire Office was obsessed with it. You used to talk about it an awful lot. I'd never watched any episodes of it. So, at Kingery said to me, I should watch Rick and Morty, Season 3, Episode 4, Vindicators 3, The Return of World Ender. That was the episode title. Mm. And I watched it. And? So, here's the thing. Oh, God. <laughs> so, he has notes. Rick and Morty is something that has passed me by. Like I hadn't, I haven't really read reviews. I don't know what it is that people like about it. I know there's something to do with Szechuan sauce or something that I don't really understand. And there's a pickle Rick is a thing. I don't know what that is either. Don't know either. Uh, these are all jokes from the show that I don't understand. So I know it is a thing, but I've never really understood. You know, I know who's involved. But I don't know what it is that people like about it. So I was like, oh, what is it? Is it like Futurama? Like what? What is it? Mm. So 
I watched it. It's clever. It's smartly written. It's very observant. But it is extremely smug and annoying. <laughs> Which I didn't like. Which is ironic. I myself am both smug (laughs) and annoying. And yet, I didn't just not like it. Like, it irritated me to the point where I wanted to punch it. Like, I really hated it. Like, I found it the antithesis of funny. Is the antithesis of funny not funny? I mean, yeah, 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 but it's anti-funny. It's like it sucks humour out of you. Like, if you had any residual humour energy in your body, like, this would suck it out of you and you would be left devoid of joy and humour. It is genuinely regarded. I mean, it's passed me by as well, to be honest, but I always feel guilty that I never got into it. Um, I've watched one or two episodes, but it is regarded by the, if I can use the phrase, comedy cognoscenti. You know those people, yes. those slightly snobby people who think they know everything about comedy. Comedy yeah, cons. love it. Yeah, the, you know, like... Comedy fans, comedy nerds. They comedy do love cunts. It. Comedy cunts, yeah. Um, so uh, uh, you, this is one example where you, if you had have told us, if you had have shared, which as Terry pointed out, is the point of the whole fucking franchise, <laughs> I would have watched it and it would have been quite interesting. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, the main reason I didn't tell you is I watched it last night at about two in the oh, morning, having not had time to do it beforehand. Oh, I get it. Right. And at that point, Terry hadn't even watched the stuff she's supposed to review for this episode and I thought I'd probably get punched if I suggested it or, I don't know, hot tea thrown in my face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but but I will accept that this is probably a really really good thing, and it's inc- and I can see that it's clever. I can see it's really well written, and it probably is a great comedy show. It's just I think it's because it's the antithesis of what I find amusing. Like mm. it's it's. And this, seen... this will sound reductive, but it's puerile and stupid. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's deliberately, yeah. like, that's what they're going for. That's the sense of humour. But it, that is just not what I find funny. Did, did you see the um, the Netflix series that was made by Matt Groening of Simpsons the, the, and the, 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 the fantasy that, one. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was t- absolutely shockingly but, terrible. Uh, yeah, I, I can't be dealing with that either. Yeah. I just, I just, I, it's just... I only mention it as another thing that yeah. people said, oh, well, that's I think really good. I'm perfectly willing to say, in this case, this wasn't funny to me, but mm. then this is me. So mm. I'm not condemning all... Rick and Morty fans, but let's be honest, I am judging you a bit. I bet we get a responses from Rick and Morty yeah. fans. Oh, too. we will, because yeah. Rick and Morty's huge. Like, people love it. Yeah. Like, it's a phenomenon, yeah. but it is a phenomenon that is lost on me, okay. as so many things are. <laughs> so, sorry, Kingery. Rick and Morty did not do the trick. Better luck next time. If you want to hurl comedy in my general direction and, like uh, hot tea. <laughs> and watch it burst into <laughs> flames, then uh, by all means do uh, at me at James C. Dyer on Twitter and uh, suggest both a serious and crucially an episode and now news uh first up in news first order news is a bit of congratulations Liv kelly from uh, no not you boy Liv kelly from ireland who won the signed game of thrones print in our inaugural (laughs) pilot competition there you go well done, Liv. That was we... another thing that Terry and I didn't know about yeah. until it suddenly arrived. This in the is podcast. another something James has blagged somehow. <laughs> Hang and on. Opens I didn't get to on... keep it. I sent it to Ireland. What did you get for this? Nothing at all. I got nothing. Not a thing. So what are we Not doing it for? I got the admin of having to send it to Ireland. I mean, I hate to have an editorial discussion live on air, but this seems like a foolish competition to have run. Well, Liv seemed very, very happy with it. Well, I'm sure she did. She, she messaged me this morning to say it had arrived. <laughs> the raven has landed, was actually what she said. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I've yet to draw the runner-up prize who will receive one of uh, Terry's famous ham and cheese sandwiches, but we'll get onto that at some point later. Right, give me some news, Terry. <gasps> Gavin and Stacey Christmas <laughs> special! This, so this was something lots of people were very, very, very excited about. Yeah, like, not the Twitter you, I thread saw. for this was nuts. Not, not you, I saw. So um, uh, James Corden uh, put a picture of the script which said, Gavin and Stacey Christmas special 2019 
created by James Corden and Ruth Jones, who obviously wrote the um, previous series. Mm. There's been one Christmas special before, which was immense, and I actually only watched it um, coincidentally the other week. Um, I absolutely fucking love Gavin and Stacey. I don't know if it reminds me of that kind of time in my life. I was in my late 20s. It's like every time I hear like the Libertine songs they play and it like proper makes me think about being young and about the time before um, this uh, country was completely and utterly fucked. So it's slightly halcyon days whenever I watch Gavin and Stacey. Obviously, James Corden has gone on to do great, big, huge things in the US. Ruth Jones has made um, some kind of uh, some interesting telly since then, right? Um, uh, she's a best-selling novelist. She, is she really? Yes, yes, yeah. There we go. I, for one, I'm like beside myself. Um, we know it's nine years since the last one. Obviously, when we left them in the very last episode, Stacey was pregnant. Um, Nessa hadn't gone through with her marriage to Dave. Like they left it in a lovely open way and the speculation was always they're leaving it ripe for some kind of revisiting down the line. Almost 10 years. I think it's going to be amazing. I think those two together, I think um, Ruth Jones and James Corden are dynamite together. I really do. Writing. Um, I think James Corden is really, really, really funny on telly. I really do. And I can't wait. And I'm dead excited. And the bloody Twitter thing was brilliant because he announced it. And Mm. all the replies were people posting either gifts or memes or there was a episode of Governor's Stacey set at Christmas where Smithy played Band-Aid um, and it's like a brilliant brilliant bit of telly and it was so joyful wasn't that you did you go yeah, through this it's thread yeah. wasn't it brilliant everybody yeah. was so excited and so yeah. happy I added to it by uh, put, uh, by pointing out that I am in the opening scene of Gavin and Stacey Christmas special you yeah, are yeah. The finger, in the finger, finger in the Nickers and Nickers Nick, mm. I'm not sniffing them I'm ordering them I'm an employee I'm an m and employee yeah. in, the, in the opening scene it was one of the great honours I thought it was Debenhams no M&S oh. M&S uh, yeah um, and uh I, I, I mean, I cannot agree more. It's incredibly exciting. And what, in all kinds of reasons, the actual thing is incredibly exciting that this absolutely brilliant show that started out as a small thing on BBC Three and grew into this huge public, huge phenomenon, pop culture phenomenon on BBC One. James, you're still looking mystified by the whole thing. Um, it's exciting <laughs> that that is back because it was so brilliant. And as you say, the two of them are fantastic, talented, and also. The way they've kept it secret, I think, is incredible. Yeah. There's hardly anything that's kept a secret this, of this magnitude in TV in this day and age. So it was very exciting that it suddenly arrived. Um, that he tweeted a picture of the script, and just and I heard um, various cast members talking about it on the radio and mm-hmm. how they've read the script and how they think it's it's fantastic already. Yeah, it's it's going to be a massive, massive treat at Christmas. I cannot wait. I didn't watch Gavin and Stacey. I mean, who is surprised oh, by that? So, honestly, I don't think you'll like it because you're you. But <laughs> I love it. I've got such a huge amount of yeah. affection for it. I think you might it. like it. It's good. He won't. Do you think, no. do you think no. I should, I, it should you be like another... early Mike Lee or, you know, films? or that They were a big influence on. I, I, Alison Steadman, it was in... I'll be, I'm not, anyway, we, we can't... We, I mean, Pam. On? Pam is one of the great yeah. comedy figures yeah. in British telly. Exactly. She yeah. has some of the best lines yeah. going. Fantastic, yeah. Uh-huh. This is a show that's got Julia Davis, Rob Brydon, and Alison Stedman in, in supporting roles. Yeah. You know, it's an incredible piece of TV. Oh, that whole the the heat episode where um uh that Pete and um uh remind me of um 
uh, Julia Davis's character's Can't name. Can't her name. And they, they're the couple <laughs> who live next door. Yeah. And um, basically they meet a guy on the internet and he comes and meets them in the local restaurant. They'd sent him a picture from like 20 years before. Yeah. I think that's episode one, season two, because it's the day they yeah, come back from the right. movie. Yes, yes, yes. Maybe, so, do you know what? Try season two, episode one. This is next if, week's, um, next week's Fun Your Diet. Right. As we speak, yeah. yeah. Season two, you have to remind me. Season, season two, two, episode, episode one. one. And if you don't like season two, episode one, which is the episode when they return from their honeymoon and it's almost entirely set in the local Italian restaurant, um, then I've got nothing for you. Okay. Sounds like a challenge. Yes, that is the main news. Um, have you if you read, and you must have read, because your finger's on the nub of um, literature, Terry, well, Normal People, the book? Sally Rooney. Sally Rooney. No. Ah. Well, anyway, Normal People, which is a bit of a, a literary phenomenon and has been a massive success for the author Sally Rooney, is being turned into a big 12-part drama for BBC, and it's starring Daisy Edgar-Jones and is, as Marianne and Paul Mescal as Connell. It's a modern love story, and to show you how kind of quality this is going to be, it's directed by Lenny Abramson, is that how you pronounce his name, of Room fame mm-hmm. and Hetty McDonald who directed Howard's End which was brilliantly directed the BBC drama and um, it's exciting James have you got some nerdy sci-fi bullshit you want to tell us about have you had Peep Show it's getting a uh, yes a remake yes a gender swapped yes. US remake Ugh. yeah oh yeah this is happening on <laughs> FX um, Sam Bain actually was one who mentioned this so clearly he's involved in this but he uh, he mentioned that a new a new version is on FX with the main roles being played by women so there you go I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because Peep Show is another show I've never seen oh God, oh, that's the future. Another future, funny or die. Yeah. Do. yeah, it's funny because we had Sam Bain on the Empire podcast once, and I can't remember. I think I might have confessed to him that I'd never seen. Never seen I remember that episode of the. Yeah, yeah, he was great, and I even to Jesse Armstrong. And you don't like Succession either, do you? Because you're because you've got a man of bad taste. Yes, which is a brilliant show that's created right. by the other people show created. I don't enjoy. Who was interviewed by Succession. me in the next issue of Pilot TV magazine. Okay, good, good. But good. FX stuff is generally good. So I, I would is. be I would be down on this. It'd be like oh, gender swap of people show blah blah. blah. If it was like you know going to be on NBC or something, but FX stuff is generally yeah, pretty it, good. Quality. Yeah, it it is. FX is a is a good one. I've got some. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger is doing. Superhero Kindergarten, which is an animated show where he is doing what sounds a lot like uh, Detective John Kimball from Kindergarten Cop. But, no way. Uh, no, it's not. So it's not. It's in Bonnie on It's not a. Uh, it's not a, a sequel to Kindergarten Cop. It's just very similar to it. So he plays Arnold Armstrong, who's mm. kind of like a retired superhero who used to be called Captain Courage, and he's now in retirement. Needs a teacher. He's lost all his superpowers fighting his arch nemesis, Doctor Superior who I clearly identify with. Uh, and, uh, oh my God, that is your nickname. Dr. Superior Dr. would Superior absolutely be my totally supervillain name. And, um, and yeah, so that's a weird thing that's happening, but not as weird as the fact that Sylvester Stallone has announced that uh, 1986 incredibly violent film Cobra, in which crime oh. was a disease and, lest we forget, he was the cure. Cobra's amazing. <laughs> Is getting a streaming series. Yes, I saw this. Yes, How? indeed. I don't know. It's it's a, a, a film in which uh, Sylvester Sloan plays Marion Cobra Cabretti and has to take out Brian Thompson's serial killer. I believe it's called the Night Stalker or something. But anyway, uh, so this is this is getting a um, this is getting a, a a streaming remake, and it's going to become a thing that will appear on our streams. <laughs> <laughs> on your streams. Yes. Have you watched the trailer for The Dark Crystal? I have. Age. Oh my God. I have. Yes. 
So, okay. So I could not have cared less about this show. And even though we've run about 84 stories on it in both Empire and uh, Pilot TV, and then I watched the trailer. Looks really and good. And it looks yeah. amazing. It's amazing. Like, it really evokes the feel yeah. of, the, of the original film. But like, with like really proper does. big budget and like a kind of epic. But also in that sign of slightly, you know, like... Yeah. Because it's all puppetry. Here's my know. right. Here's my question. Because in one of the many pieces that we've that we're running about this show in Pilot TV magazine and Empire, the director Louis Leterrier yep. says there's no CGI in this. Now you watch that trailer. There's, of course, there is. There's definitely CGI. Well, I in that feel trailer. like I feel like maybe he means there's no computer generated like characters because CGI oh, right, is used sure. for, to take out like people. Yeah, oh, I'm right, just, they right, okay. must use CGI just for smoothing stuff over. Mm. I mean, maybe he's telling the truth, but. Really? Maybe, uh, maybe I don't believe I'm that. slightly being unfair, but I'm sure he, he yeah. very much emphasised it's definitely, you know, in yeah. camera. But they are puppets. Sets, yeah, they're in the camera sets are puppets, huge the sets and all of that. Are, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it really, really brought back, yeah. frankly, PTSD. Like I had flashbacks. Like my childhood trauma was living large when I saw that because it really reminded <laughs> me of that film, which freaked me the fuck out when I was a kid. Uh, I was there for the scoring session of that film. Uh, of the Dark Christmas. It was uh, my mum worked at the recording studio where it, where it was scored wow. and I remember watching them do it and then oh. having nightmares for the next personal, 10 years of my life. personal connection to That's the right. score of Dark the Crystal. The Dark Crystal. Me and Fizz Gig, how oh, we go? We go back a long way. Yeah. Yeah, um, um, yeah no, it's very exciting. Marvel's Jessica Jones season three has a date. Oh, yeah. Are you excited enough for me to tell you or should I just move on? No, no one cares. It's June the 14th. Right, there you go. I mean, this could <laughs> not. <laughs> what we should say is Netflix literally, well, shut it out. No one cares. We can't even be bothered anymore. It's, it's in two weeks. Nobody cares. No one gives a shit. What if it's the best season I yet? Mean, what if 13 it's hours? This is 13 hours. Some people have created 13 hours of probably quite expensive. Yes. Probably tech, took months and months, yeah. if not years, to write. And it's been kind of like, oh, there is. Unless we forget, season one of Jessica Jones, would I would argue, that is, I would say, the best individual yeah. series that uh, in the Marvel Netflix sponsor. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe. So this could be, it could be them going out on a high. Mm, yeah. But then season two of Jessica Jones, I thought was rubbish. So... Yeah, yeah, we shall see. Uh, Gentleman Jack has been renewed for a second series. That is nice. Please about that. <laughs> that is nice. What well, it is? It's good. And Last Young and Halifax will be back in 2020. Talking of Sally Wainwright things. Okay, good, good, good. Now let's move on to what we like to call the reviews, where we review the TV shows. First up this week, you have the return of Happy Go Lucky Laugh Riot, The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> After two seasons of torture, <laughs> rape, sexual repression, and abuse, we are back for more. Returning to Gilead, a.k.a. Mike Pence's America, after June voluntarily stayed there at the end of season two, giving up her one chance at freedom to try and save her daughter Hannah and bring it all down from the inside, we can only assume. I am right in saying I think we all gave up on this at, very, at mm-hmm. some point during season two. Yeah. Yes. None yeah. of us made it through. How, how many did you make in, Terry? I think I made it five. Oh, okay. I made it quite far. Yeah, similar, five or six. Enough. I think three and I was okay. out. Right. So it got to the point and so before watching this first episode of season three, I read the in-depth uh, episode breakdowns of all of season two mm. and it genuinely feels like that was a season without a great deal of plot momentum that was just designed to make you as upset as humanly possible. Like it was just layering on gratuitous misery. I mean, that might be slightly overstating it but certainly that's how it reads on the page. It doesn't seem like, you know, it wasn't a laugh riot, was it? No. No, but I I and I watched um episode one of season three and I have to say it immediately felt 
different to me. So I remember very vividly seeing episode one of season two mm. and finding it immensely traumatic. With so that, the gallows, the gallows in the middle of the playing field, and the um, all in muzzles, um, you know, as they played a woman's worth. Like it was, I mean, there was nothing like, there was no light touch about it. It no. was oppressive and tra- incredibly traumatic. And this felt quite different. I mean, there is an extraordinary use of I Don't Like Mondays, yes. which yes. is one of the best uses of that song The ever. Boomtown Raps montage I was not expecting. Oh, my <laughs> God. And there is a, I mean, it's still, don't get me wrong, like there is still, it's still incredibly difficult to watch in yeah. places. It's still terribly upsetting in places. But there is a a difference in um, the, the tone of the character somehow. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but it feels less kind of fully oppressive to the point where it was unwatchable mm. before, I think. If it, she feels more empowered, June, I think. Yes. Yeah, June feels like she has a measure of control. Even while she's suffering dignity, even when she faces abuse, she faces it like knowingly and just walks into it mm. with a kind of like fuck you attitude. Mm. Uh, and I think, I mean, I think they've spoken about this. I, mean, I feel this is a direct response to the criticisms of season two. Because I don't know what their ratings look like at the end of two, but I think certainly anecdotally, a lot of people fled mm. this show it is during inter- the second season. Yeah, I was interested to how, to the extent to which... The they have responded to the criticism mm. because sometimes you think, is it, I mean, some creators of of, of drama, mm. films, TV, very much are of the, take the stance, no, I'm not going to respond to audience mm. opinion. You know, I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm writing it for myself, blah, blah, blah. You know, that is a thing people say. I think it's, I think it's good. I feel, I, gen, I feel like they have absolutely responded because yeah. you have got moments of lightness that the Boomtown Rats yeah. moment is so, <laughs> where's this coming from? And you also have moments, I think it's, I think it, it absolutely helps that one some characters have escaped to Canada yes, yes. and so that feels like the scenes yes. there in Canada like oh I feel like, well, literally like a load off my off my back because they think good things are happening to those characters and as you say she's more empowered now because she did it was controversial yeah. that she, at the end of the last season she did she could have escaped herself and didn't took the decision not yeah. to and but I feel that has empowered her mm. and I feel that is working as well so I did really enjoy this first episode as well and you're I thought, completely right though I'd never thought about that the moment when and there is a character particularly who makes it yeah. through mm. and the relief and yeah. the hope that gives you. Yes. Whereas I remember there was there was one point last season where she'd escaped and got captured again and it was like... Oh, that there was, so often. There were three or four episodes where there wasn't a glimmer of hope yeah. or positivity in the entire thing. Yeah. You know, because it was cutting to the... Um, uh, help me out. Where they did all the graft. Oh yeah, that oh the colonists. The colonists. colonists yes. So it was cutting between, you know, what you already thought was awful, which was the handmaids, you know, in the houses. Actually, they then created yeah. something mm, even worse, a hundred times worse in the colonies. And and there were some episodes that were fifty percent in the colonies, and you were just watching women die, like living in yeah. awful brutality. And Alexis Bladel's teeth falling out, and yeah, yeah. and you yeah. know, they were some from a cinematography perspective, they were absolutely some of the most beautiful scenes on telly. Year, but they were unrelent a new level of bleak yeah. that I hadn't <laughs> Which, even experienced yeah. in season one. And you're right, actually, because the different palette and kind of landscape that yeah. that freedom gives you is it doesn't feel like oh fuck everybody's going to die and I'm just going to sit here watching mm, watching yeah. people die week yeah, after absolutely. week. And Bradley Whitford, who I mean, he, you Love know, Bradley Whitford, he. 
I think he's foregrounded in more in this episode. He yeah. did arrive in the last series, but he he's just got an immediately kind of slightly com- comedic version he of does. the yes. horrible man. Yeah. Yeah. So he's already more interesting to me than the slightly, I think, one-dimensional yeah. um, men in some of the, not all of them, but some of the yeah, Joseph I know Fiennes mean, character. Yeah. I'm never, I, I never that interested in his character. No, he, he doesn't have a lot Whereas of Whereas this guy is different and yeah. interesting and kind of got little edge, interesting edges to it. No, I, I think the tone is, I think Elizabeth Moss is, as she has been throughout, incredibly good in this. Yeah, uh, it's a magnificent performance. And I think this sort of steel that she's brought into June is really comes to the fore in this, which is great. Also, some really stunning shots in this. There's mm-hmm. one where she's coming down the stairs, yes. see some smoke, and there's a shot of a burning bed. Yes, beautifully. Yeah. Oh, that whole fire thing. Oh, I mean, well that, I mean, yeah. as a metaphor, you know, the, ma- the burning <laughs> of this bed where yeah. Yeah. terrible things have happened. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was also something interesting, really interesting, in the kind of theme of motherhood in this first episode, and actually women who've previously, and I don't want to give too much away, but women who've previously been pitted against each other, finding common ground yeah. in the narrative of motherhood, and it being a great leveler between these women because obviously in in previous seasons they've been fiercely pitted against each other and enemies and um, you now see these women kind of realising that actually being mothers and the the sacrifices you make and the pain you have to go through and it's a shared trauma they found a language in shared trauma which is really interesting because Mm. it creates a more interesting relationship between the women which isn't just Mm. this adversarial um, bitch versus bitch versus bitch kind of um, dynamic so I really love that as well because yep. it got, it got. There were parts in in season two where it just got unspeakably grim for everyone. Serena Joy, who's been yeah, consistently awful to June throughout, gets her own finger cut off for daring to read from the Bible aloud. Because of course, women are not allowed to read in mm. Gilead. Uh, and it's, I mean, it, it the dynamic between those two, I think, is going to be a real crux of this season. Yeah. I think it's going to be very, very interesting. And I, I get the impression that this is finally going to be uh, an attempt to kind of fight back and, and, yeah. and deconstruct it. I was quite surprised by how negatively a lot of people on the internet took the finale of season two where she elects to stay in Gilead about oh it's ridiculous and I was like of course she was going to stay why did you ever think she was going to leave because no. her daughter's there yeah. mm. it doesn't make any yeah. sense and and to your point I actually think there's there's a couple of scenes in this first episode with Serena Joy which are remarkable actually and I yeah. think she's incredible you know Elizabeth Moss is one of the finest actors working working today and she puts in amazing scene after amazing scene but there is an incredible scene with Serena where you see um, how they've all been levelled by shared trauma and she mm. is in- incredible and actually it's Fred and it's, you know, who's out in the kind of wilderness by himself, isolated from this thing that he can't possibly relate to. Mm. Um, and as you say, there are a couple of shots. There's one really early on and there's the the flaming bed one and they are absolutely remarkable. So yeah, there's a, a rally for The Handmaid's Tale, I'm going to say. I, and if, if people have watched, as a lot of people will have done, if they've watched season one and they've skipped season two, I actually don't think it's a bad thing to jump straight back in with season three. Uh, the Wikipedia breakdowns of season two, you can read through well, in about a, 10 And minutes. there's a catch-up in the beginning. And there's, yeah. there's, there is a very brief catch-up at the beginning, pretty, so it gives you the key yeah. points of what's happened. Yeah. But you can, if you want to delve into the misery properly, then <laughs> the Wikipedia well, page is probably the way to do it. And I didn't I didn't catch up on the end of season two, um, so I just went straight into season three, and I have to say it was pretty... Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. It's, you can figure it out. Figure it out. Yeah, yeah. All you need to know is a load of shit happened to <laughs> yeah. a load of characters, and they're all pretty miserable. And then we pick up. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, that is the Handmaid's Tale season three, which airs on Channel Four on Sunday, the 9th of June at nine p.m. 
Also out this week is Armistead Morpin's Tales of the City. This is based on the literary series of the same name, but more specifically, picking up the pieces of the kind of on-again, off-again TV adaptation, which began back in 1993, continued in 98, and... 2001, but it's been away from our screens for the past 18 years. Uh, this one picks up with Laura Linney's Marianne Singleton and Olympia Dukakis' Anna Madrigal as uh, as Linney comes back to this tight-knit San Francisco community at 28 Barbary Lane. And I have to say, I had no idea what was happening Oh my with God, this one I would, do you know what? All. When I was watching this, I was thinking, I really wish I had a live stream to James Dyer's face right now, like what? trying no, to work out what was happening. I have never read the books. I have never seen any of the previous series. And you go into this and I was led to believe that this was like, okay, it's been away for 18 years. We can't assume people have watched this. You're going to be able to come into this cold and it'll be very easy to get into. Like it assumed so much knowledge of who these people were. I'm like, who the fuck are you? What is this? Why are you up? Upset. Why are you giving her the face? And why are you in a strop? And she's your mother? And oh no, she's not. And hello. And also, why is it this woman's birthday? And why is everyone hanging around here? It's like this is like who lives like this? Why so this is it weird... this woman's birthday? No, is a question. Like, it's like they all live in this sort of block, and everyone's hanging out, and it's all like an episode of That's Friends. The whole thing, and, and they're, like, they're all living in the block and hanging it's out. Very That's the confusing. premise. Confusing. So have you? Oh. Right. So have you two watched the previous three yes. miniseries? No. Oh. Okay. So you you went I, into no, this so I, And I was just going to leap to James's defense, which is <laughs> I saw watching it and thought I was accidentally watching episode two because I there were so many bits missing. Yeah. So then I went and Googled and read all up on because I didn't even realise it was meant to be a sequel um, to, you know, and Laura Linney is picking up a mm, character that yeah. she first played 20 years ago. Yeah. I had no knowledge of all of this. So I was equally as confused. I was like, what is happening? And, and so I had to go and research it before I started watching it. So I do think James has a point, which is there is an assumption of knowledge mm. which I think is fine as long as it still works within the within the context of your own show I think this is hard to watch if you if you don't know the plot if you don't understand that it's a sequel if you don't understand who Laura Linney's character is I think James has a Point. Can I get that in writing? Oh my god like, Can we, can we, can I, we make a time and date here? Beautiful um, Let me I, I have watched probably all of the previous series I don't remember them at all I mean okay. I don't and I didn't brush up on it so I think I had a similar, I guess, you know, there's a certain amount of student knowledge, but I do think actually they, they took the deliberate dramatic decision to plunge you in and let you work it out anyway. Do you know what I mean? So even if, I don't think many of us who watch, I mean, maybe some obsessives have probably rewatched mm, it, like yeah. you rewatch every single thing you ever see, <laughs> are exactly aware of what happened. But I wasn't, I couldn't remember at all. And I and I immersed myself in it and I kind of got along with the, with the things I didn't remember. And I just accepted it and moved on, if you like. But I, I think it's worth, so I think, I think there's, I think the tone and mood of it is what is important and that's mm. what I remember mm. from watching it first time which is it is a celebration of community of in quotes freaks and so Laura Linney's character is the outsider in this community of outsiders because yeah. she's normal yeah. and white and middle class and that's the whole thing that was the brilliant concept of it from Amistad Mopan's original thing is that yes it's all about San Francisco and different people with you know with sexuality and ethnicity and all of that yeah. but actually the main character is very much white bread all yeah. American girl and and they've and they've that's what is the, the really interesting way that he goes at it because then you, she's, and she's still very much in that mindset her husband even more so he's the one who calls them mm. freaks the community living in San Francisco they go back and see because of this this leadership figure's birthday 90th birthday she's yeah. the one who gathered these people around in her in her block and I thought that and that, that is still I think really works really well because there's an edge to Laurel in his character that I kind of forgotten about a bit which is that she, in the end she does care a lot of, even though she loves being among this community of outside 
outsiders, but she kind of actually also really embraces her mainstreamness. Mm. And she's got this really nerdy square husband who clearly doesn't approve of that world. So that clash, I think, is interesting because I think it could just be a kind of like a quite a kind of in a way hippie-ish mm. celebration, you know, of San Francisco and the community. But actually, there's, there's more to it than that. So I thought it was really interesting. And I think it, well, the amazing thing is she is still kind of looks exactly the same as she did yeah. 20 years ago still a brilliant presence in the middle of it this kind of charismatic figure and I, I really enjoyed it but is there something tricky mm. about it being 2019 the San Francisco yeah. of 2019 that we know it as is um is about capitalism is fully about kind of like commercialism it's very I don't. I think it's been a long time since it's truly been been considered a city for outsiders. I know that it still does have a large um, queer community, mm. which is what this show celebrates and puts at the heart of it. And I think you're right. I think for that. It's still radical in many respects. It shouldn't be, but it's still radical to have a queer community at the heart of your show. And as you say, for Laura Linney's character to be the outsider. And it's still kind of remarkable that 20 years on, that's still radical, right? And that very rarely happens. But I suppose the bit that I was struggling with is, is San Francisco in 2019 and actually a lot of America in 2019, is that still valid, that sense of it being that place for those... For people, yeah, I know what you mean. For people on the outside, I know what you mean. Yeah, I think it, I think it will. I think it is kind of dealing with that, and we'll deal with it more. Is the sense yeah. I get because I think there are. It's not regard. I think the it's not regarding the characters as they're all great. Oh, isn't they're all wonderful? And isn't this world wonderful? I think it is looking at it with a certain sly side eye, if you like. And yeah. there's a line where Zosia Mamet says something about basically like San Francisco being at this heart of capitalism. Yes, and there's a there's definitely a reference to it. Yeah, totally. It, but it makes it feel weirdly nostalgic almost. And there's bits where it almost feels like fantasy, you know, with the fairy lights mm. and the just the way it's shot and it it there's something weirdly nostalgic and throwbacky about it. I can't quite put my mm. finger I think on it. It's a, I think it's an interesting mix of of, of nostalgia and throwbacky and being quite and very pertinent about mm. what's happening because there's there's so there's stuff about social media and Instagram. Mm. There's yes. the transgender couple who are yeah. kind of chronicling their lives and there's documentarists yeah. filming stuff. I thought all of that. It feels very current to me. And I'm you know I've only watched like one and a half episodes, but I, I already feel like it's going to be more relevant perhaps than we might think. It feels very clever and smart the way it's dealing with present day mm. situations. I'll tell you what did drive me mad is there's, <laughs> there's an almost constant background music uh, in yeah. the first yeah. 10 minutes and it was very like sitcom but it was very yeah. I can't put my face, I found it so distracting, oh, really? Okay. really, really really distracting because it sounded like eleva- it sounded like twee elevator music mm. and I didn't know again if that was the intentional almost this kind of, you know, it is quite plasticky and fantasy and twinkly mm. and do you know what I mean? It's yeah. It's like this kind of candy-coloured confection that they've um, constructed. And we should actually um, say that Lauren Morelli is the showrunner of this, who was the writer on Orange is the New Black. Um, and that actually, Armistead Mappin is an um, exec producer, right? Yeah, so, you know, he's yeah. been involved. Um, and it's got Ellen Page in it, yeah. who's great. Yeah, she's very good. And as you say, Zosia Mamet, who I love, yeah. who's mm. also really good. So, yeah. so this, this feels like a somewhat 
shall we say, sanitised version of his book series. Because I was was reading up on the books, the second one's got cannibalism in it. I mean, it's properly off the rails. I think it'll get, you'll see it gets There'll be cannibalism. We can look forward to it. Yeah, no, not specific cannibalism, but I think it'll be be more um, edgy as it goes on. I think this is an introductory thing. It felt cautious to me in places. Yeah, I think it'll get less cautious. There was, was, I could feel it like tiptoeing into stuff. um, And actually, I think for it to, to be really radical in that sense, you do hope it kind of pushes mm. in because there are you know some of the couples are quite um e- even though they may seem kind of non-traditional the cer- there's a certain kind of surface um thing going on which is uh, you really want to get to know those characters and those dynamics and those relationships better so they're not kind of mm. this is the couple that are like that this is do you know what i mean yeah, where they yeah. come to be um types of something but you don't really understand them as humans but obviously we've got an entire season to get to know these characters and these people Indeed we do. That is Armistead Mopin's Tales of the City, and this drops on Netflix on Friday the 7th of June. Uh, finally this week is a show we've been... Oh, hang on. No, no. Uh, I'm going to say... Mm, okay. Finally this week is a show we've been waiting what seems like eons for while the Americans drank their fill of it. News broke this week that Killing Eve had finally been given its UK release date and... It's here. It's this week. Yes. Villanelle is once again among us as season two picks up soon after the climax of season one. 30 seconds after, to be precise. Now, you two have already talked about this a little bit when you Mm. went to that preview event the other week. And I seem to recall, Terry, your love affair with season one felt like that some of the gloss had gone off it. Well, it was, I think it was more, I was very conscious of the fact that there was a new um, head writer in Emerald Fennel and I loved season one and particularly the writing of season one so much and I was really conscious of the fact that it, it wasn't Phoebe Waller-Bridge anymore but Boyd often has pointed out that actually she didn't write all of the episodes in the first season and that I was probably just being too hyper aware of that. Having seen the first two it does feel different and I think it should because I think no woman wants to come in and do a carbon copy of the woman who went before her, right? It feels like it has enough shared ground in terms of, um, you know, those brilliant bits of absurd um, comedy which we'd very rarely seen before. There was there weren't enough of those for me. So I loved that there was, I think I've talked about this scene before, there was a scene where, you know, it picks up afterwards and she says, and Eve said, oh, I think I've killed Villanelle. Yeah. And there's a couple who happen to be proposing next to her and she's like, oh, hi, sorry. And it's like those kind of, yeah, the clash <laughs> yeah. of that normality and yeah. this, you know, there's this high drama happening here and then she stumbled upon this other thing here. I I missed a few of those. Mm. The second episode really picks up pace and um, Villanelle is in um, hospital, I think we can say. Yeah. And there is a very, 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 very shocking <laughs> death, is fair to say. Yeah. And then she ends up in England and as it gathers as the story moves on I think it really found its rhythm especially in episode two I was really like I the pace I understood the pace the first episode I found it a a little bit kind of discombobulating I had to find my groove within it by the end of season um, episode two not season two by the end of episode two I was like right I get this now I'm Mm. in it I'm with you um and now I really want to see episode three. But I, I think, I don't know what I was reacting to. Did yeah. you notice any difference? Uh, well, no, weirdly, the thing that struck me first of all is I had forgotten how much I delight in the tone of this mm-hmm. show. Because it, it's like, it's serious, it's violent, and but it has this through line of very subtle, incredibly pitch 
just pitch black humour to it. And it's really fucking funny. Yeah. Like to the point where, like Rick and Morty didn't even make me smile. Like this, I, I laughed aloud several points watching mm-hmm. this. It's particularly so my favourite, my f- favourite thing in the whole first season is always Fiona Shaw because, because always Fiona Shaw. Mm. When she's like, you know, I saw a rat there drinking a can of Coke. Both paws, quite extraordinary. Yeah. You know, or both hands. That's quite a good impression. Yeah. But, that is. But genius. And then in this, she's got the thing, she's like, well, why do you look so good? She goes, it's my moisturiser. It was made of pig placenta. And she goes, it's a cost of fortune. It smells like arse, but it's effective. And I was, just, and it just destroyed me. It's just, and then uh, Sandra O oh, just follows her going, I could smell like ass. I don't mind yeah. smelling like ass. And it's like, this is amazing. Like, it's really well written, but it's incredibly precisely delivered. And it takes incredible skill to walk that line, yeah. that tonal line between serious drama and this kind of slightly absurd comedy. It is absurd. And because of the drama, because it's juxtaposed with the drama, as I always bang on about, it makes it so much funnier. So yeah. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed episode one enormously, but episode two is magnificent. Mm. Just yeah, we, the sequence in the hotel, yeah. uh, in the hospital, where she goes from the hospital and the way that's it's almost like a like a like a send up of a of a of a trope really mm. like you know and it's just the inversion of that and the power dynamic which isn't where you would expect it to be in that particular situation and I I just reveled in it I absolutely loved it I mean so. there's a line in episode one where or it may have been the start of episode two where she's explaining that um she, you know she was stabbed by even and she ends up going oh you will do crazy what does she act what's the actual quote she says oh when you love someone you will do crazy things with this wistful smile on her face while clutching yeah. the stab wound from where she's been stabbed. I mean, Julian Barrett, we should mm. mention in episode two, yeah. is incredible. just yeah. incredible. That episode could have been an entire series yeah, of yeah. something. Yeah, it's, right. Yeah, right. And it's like a standalone, almost like a yeah, brilliant thing, diversion. Mm. But that's the great thing, I think, about what they've created because it's going it, to, it allows, because you're so immersed in the incredibly blackly comic tone which they achieved so brilliant and I do think Emerald Fennell has done a brilliant job mm-hmm. because you, you're right she's she's maintained the tone and I still think you know if you didn't know that there were any changes of writing you just c- c- crack on with it yeah. but there is something slightly different about about her writing I think and it's difficult to put your finger on it I feel there's slightly more visual jokes and visual mm. kind of tricks played I don't know it's only seen in episode 2 when he arrives the Julian Barrett character arrives but it's so clever that you're immersed in it that actually the implausibilities because right happens in episode two slight spoiler she ends up with this guy in his house and he's you know he's fucking crazy basically you know without putting too high a point on it and it's not that likely is it that you'd end up you know no. you'd chance upon yeah. this dude and but you completely go along with it because such is the brilliant handling of the tone of mm. it so fantastical things kind of are made to seem you you buy into it and I've watched so I watched episode three and it, and it and it keeps I was all like for me it's definitely keeping up the pace and it yeah. keeps up and that relationship between Eve and Villanelle is still so brilliantly done as well and that there's more of that in episode three there's you know there's a couple of great new characters i think and you're and you're fiona Shaw. i mean and her son who works with that yeah. dude wearing shorts mysteriously for no reason whatsoever it's so many great brilliant random things about the mm. writing i i still love it i still think it's absolute gold tv gold and props to uh, to jodie comer for her accent work which oh, is a flawless but where she flows between them it's magnificent yeah. That yeah. episode two is, by the way, set mostly in Basildon. <laughs> of course, it and is. it's made Basildon look quite, you know, interesting. <laughs> it's so well done. Yeah, I love how it's, you know, it goes from a Parisian bolt hole yeah. to literally Basildon. Right. Like yeah. it's, it's to a supermarket yeah. in Basildon. It's, and, you know, just the, the look of that house when she ends up in this house, it's just. <laughs> 
absolutely note perfect. Yeah. And isn't it interesting because they've so they've already announced that season three will be um, mostly head writers now. Suzanne Heathcote, mm. who you'll be excited to know, worked on Fear the Walking Dead. Yes, one of the one of the big. Exec- Does that mean you're boycotting it? No, no, no. What I'm saying is, well, so what they've done now, what they've made clear they're doing is they're going to hand over each season to a new female showrunner yeah. and yeah. head writer. And I think that's a really interesting thing. So they've it kind is. of made a they've made something very positive and interesting out of the fact that um, clearly people are just too busy to bloody do this show to write every you know most episodes of the show and I think that's a really interesting way of doing it you should pitch in you should you could do episode season 4 so you're pointing at James I should do it yes no yeah Boyd I'll do that so Killing Eve season 2 and this drops in the UK on BBC One on Saturday June the 8th at 9.15pm but of course if you're in America or Ireland or loads of other places you've already seen them all but it's Uh, all available to watch all in one go from Saturday it is available to watch in one go so you can binge to your heart's content also out this week is the new series of Black Mirror which we have seen however <laughs> thanks to a particularly tricky embargo we're not actually able to talk about it so we can't review it for you luckily though we have the next best thing as we got creators Annabelle Jones and Charlie Brooker to come in and talk about it instead uh, Boyd had a chat with this pair about what's in store for you all in the latest run of episodes and this is what they said Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones team of Black Mirror welcome to the Pilot TV podcast Hello. Hello. Um, we are discussing the new fifth season of Black Mirror, three extraordinary new episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, the first of which I'm going to ask you about is Striking Vipers, mm-hmm. starring Anthony Mackie and Yai Abdul Mateen. Mm-hmm. Now, this episode touches on lots of fascinating themes mm-hmm. playing computer games sexuality i feel mm-hmm. possibly a little bit of porn in there isn't it, definitely now which a of, lot of porn a lot of porn a lot of, not so I, know like. what por- I don't know what porn is no none i've of us never do. seen it what no. is it she's seen it ah, Annabelle's seen yes it. women are allowed to say they've seen it yes <laughs> now, lots of research yeah. for charlie in this film now which of those ideas came first what was the what was the trigger for this story um well first question is is this does this does this go out post or pre just before Launch. Just before, yes. okay. So I'm going to try a tricky Literally one. The day before, I think. The, the day before, okay. So without spoiling anything, mm. without spoiling anything, it's kind of all of the above. I'm. I think it came about. There was an observation. Um, there was an observation I'd had about the nature of. Oh, I know. No, I. We'd we'd had a conversation. We had had a conversation about pornography. Right. Because I was about like, how you had to stop. I was like, "What is it? What is this stuff you keep talking about?" And relentlessly, day in, day out, that I've never heard of. And we were talking about what happens in the future when, if if you get sort of virtual porn and it's extremely um, realistic, mm. what will that lead to? And so it sort of was born out of that. So the story then, I think, goes into unusual places off mm. the back of that. And then also threaded in amongst that, there was sort of my own observations about playing lots of video games, which are obviously fantasy worlds and pornography is a sort of fantasy world. So it was like meshing the two together seemed like an interesting uh, space mm. to explore. It's it, a tricky one without saying it really is, pre, yes. pre-launch. It's very hard for it's me hard. to describe what oh, happens yes. in it. Yes, but I'm mm. going to say it, it does go some very interesting mm-hmm 
places mm-hmm. with the game without giving anything away. And now, when you're casting these shows, I'm fascinated. So you've got great these two great actors at the two main leads and, mm-hmm. and you know, their wives and girlfriends as well. Mm-hmm. But Nicole is yeah, also brilliant. Yeah, she yeah. is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, do they, is it an immediate yes? Do they kind of look at the script? Do they have, you know, is there stuff that they maybe have issues with in this one? Or was it kind of, you know, were pretty much on board with the whole white um, journey they go on? <laughs> uh, I No, I think... Um, uh, I think an actor, when we have sent it to actors, they either enjoy it and there's something in there that they can relate to or something they want to explore. Um, and they, and if they are interested in the top sub- subject or the film, then we'll Skype and we'll talk it through. And if their interpretation of the film and if the things that they've enjoyed about it chime with us, then we sort of think, okay, we've got the right actor for the role. Um, and we were lucky enough that Anthony enjoyed the script and though, you know, there are questions in there about masculinity and, uh, and the perceptions of masculinity and what happens when you you get older and how you cope with maybe that diminished virility and all themes that he mm. was interested in and that often he doesn't get to explore because he is often you know cast as the alpha male so for him this was an opportunity to do something very different and uh, and yeah he he really got it and same with Yaya they're sort of very lucky that you know because as as Charlie was saying, we can't really go into too much detail, but Yaya's role in particular is sort of quite ambiguous, and his oh God, I can't <laughs> say too much. Uh, so it was, it was. So we were, we were really pleased that Yaya embraced that and and welcomed the opportunity to explore this sort of unknown territory. There is an extraordinary scene. There's all, it's also, as you said, looked at long, a kind of long term relationships, doesn't it? And as mm-hmm. you say, you know, virility and all of that. So there's a brilliant scene in, the, in I think maybe towards the end with with the two main characters, the husband, the husband and wife, about mm-hmm. in the restaurant where he's yes. And I felt that was a re- really interesting exploration of the limits of a long term relationship. Was mm-hmm. that was that always your idea to explore that as well, or was that did that come about as you were writing? Um, it was always it's it's always in. I mean, that was the meat of the story. Was really you know what is the human impact of what's going on here on everyone involved mm. um on all sides of this dilemma this yes. is me talking around it absolutely. without explaining what's going on we should say and, that when you get to see it the dilemma is absolutely fucking fascinating oh it's thank you yes. is it, well it certainly i mean it inspires a lot of debate and like we still don't know or i certainly still don't know where i stand on mm. what exactly in a exactly. way the nature of what's going on there's many i keep changing totally. my point of view on absolutely. what's going on um but that scene in particular in the restaurant, I think you know they both they, they're both doing an amazing job. Nicole really knocks it out of the park there. It's like very raw as well, and so yeah. it really you know there's a sort of lightning rod of emotion moment there that hopefully you know for what is quite a fantastical story in many ways, it's also a very grounded you know story about there's a you know there's a lot about loyalty and. A pragmatic sort of form of love in there. Um, so hopefully, uh, people are going to. I think it will inspire quite a lot of debate. Oh, definitely. Um, without amongst doubt. people, I immediately wanted to convene a, a discussion group about yeah, it to go yes. right. What do we think yeah, of that? Exactly. A book group. Type. A book group. Exactly. <laughs> a book group. Um, that's what we should have. We sh- you should. Have a, like, yeah. Move, moving on to Smithereens, mm-hmm. which um, has got Andrew Scott, mm-hmm. Damson Idris, Topher Grace. Mm-hmm. My question, again, we can't spoil anything, but there's a there's there's an element of um, a big kind of social media company, yep. um, an app kind of thing going on there, mm-hmm. and the head of it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether he had anything in mind, especially because can we say he's gone on a retreat? Uh, we can. Well, can we say that? Well, we can okay. certainly say that we didn't. 
There's a head. There's the head of a big social media platform in yeah. it. Um, and I oddly didn't do much research. Uh, exactly. Like partly deliberately because then you can't get sued probably. If, Wise. Or you wouldn't be worried Wise. about it. Um, yeah. The, oh, there's not much we can say. We probably can't say that he's got. Uh, um, it's about. Tri- the germ uh, for that. Yeah. Should, yeah. should we say that the ger- the starting point mm. for that story, A, we always wanted to do one this season that was set very much in the present yes, day. Yes, I was going to ask about that. In the real very world present. and in Britain. Yeah. And also it was born out of an observation Often we're just discussing potential story ideas and it, it 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 was literally an observation where I was describing how I'd got in an Uber, I think, the previous day. And uh, as I often do, it was just on autopilot. I was just like staring at my phone, got in, the car drives off. And then after about 20 minutes, I was aware it stopped. And then I realized that the driver was out and was rummaging around in the boot. Oh dear. And I thought, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know where I am. I looked out. I didn't know where I was. I thought, oh my God, what's going on? Mm. He brings out a bottle of water. He went, sorry, it's a hot day. I was thirsty. Didn't want to disturb you. You're on your phone. And we were discussing that. That was an experience we've all had where we sort of get in a car and immediately go down the rabbit hole of our phones and don't look up and see what's going on. And then that fed into all sorts of other conversations we were having. And hopefully that is then mirrored in the episode. That's the starting point for the episode. And then, then it sort of spreads out from there. So we see Andrew at the, at the start and sort of his actions cast a load of ripples. That, yeah, he's that definitely not just way. getting some water. He's Andrew definitely Scott. not just. I can no. definitely say that. And he doesn't at any point get. I know he does get a bottle of water at one. Oh, point. actually, yeah, you're right. Yeah. We yeah. can say it's quite an. Ext- I mean, there are extraordinary performances in all in all blamish, but this of Andrew Scott. I mean, he's on a roll, isn't he? This is he has to go to some fair without again some extremes, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Yes, and given is it a spoiler to say for most of the film he is in a car yes so his stage is very limited uh, and yet he just uh, you know he totally absorbs mm. you and you're so under his skin and feeling every emotion the problem is, is I mean the, the reason actor. it's a huge challenge is he is so physically ugly <laughs> that it's very difficult for the viewer to yeah. be able to stare at him for any I yeah. mean, he was no, he became known as the ugly priest didn't he in, <laughs> in, in, that's in what I mean, yeah. notorious notorious like he's very ugly yeah. um, and you know fair you play to him objectifying him I'm, I'm negatively obje- I mean he's a hideous man <laughs> yeah. like everyone objectifies yeah. Andrew Scott now I think and it's, such yes. an un- and such, such a shame a, and such an unpleasant man <laughs> of course yes. when you meet him he's so yes. unpleasant oh, he deserves um, to be in a char- black mirror he's a talentless ugly <laughs> charmless man um, obviously, I've, I, I hope the irony of what I'm saying oh, is gorgeous. translating because he's also dis- he's very he's disgustingly talented and incredibly <laughs> nice. Yes, They're going to cut is. all of that last bit. No, I won't right. cut all of that. No, you're absolutely right. I have to. We have got. I'm running out of time. Miley effing Cyrus <gasps> is the big star of the third of the third episode. Mm-hmm. So how now is Black Mirror such a global phenomenon now that everyone loves that actually it's easy to get Miley Cyrus or is it difficult to get Miley Cyrus? We were it's lucky. lucky. It's okay. lucky. We okay. were lucky. You know, when um, when we came up with the episode, the biggest, obviously, one of the biggest challenges is casting someone who's going to be that authentic international pop star. From the beginning, they need to be a success and they need to be convincing. And that is very difficult for any actor to do, you know. And so you sort of think dream casting, you know, someone who's possibly been through a similar experience 
Miley Cyrus, for someone who already is known for being quite anarchic and already having strong opinions about the music industry, someone who's been on a very similar trajectory and who's tried to sort of break out of the anodyne Disney pop mm. star mold and become uh, an, in, you know, an artist with her own creativity. So you sort of go, well, OK, Miley, but of course she won't do it. And we, like fools, chanced our luck. And uh, It was a long shot. It was like dropping a penny in one of those machines where it like bounces off pins and you lose, we yeah. thought. Yeah. You were sent to the script. And, and she came back mm. and just, I mean, I mean, we're, I mean, we're sort of slightly in a little, a little production bubble most of the time. So we don't even know how much of a profile the show has got in the rest mm. of the world. But miraculously, she'd heard, not only had she'd heard of the show, she liked the show and was a big fan. And so said, yeah, I'll do it. And to her utter credit, she sort of just changed the schedule and, you know, came to Cape Town within mm -hmm. weeks and did it with us. Go back. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I saw. Wow. And did, so did you actually write it with her in mind? Because well, well, no, not really. In the because that would have been so arrogant. You, it, that was just the thing. You, you, uh, There's I a limited number of people who could have done yes, it. Yes, we, right. we were, uh, you know, I was writing it hoping we would get a pop star, but thinking we wouldn't. Right. So, but you, so you hope you'll get somebody who can convincingly do that side of things and has that charisma. Yeah. That's, that's your hope, obviously. So if we hadn't got her, you know, we'd have had to, we'd have had a real, you know, job. Um, as soon as we did get her, we were like, brilliant. And we start like ramping up the amount of, well, you'll see there's like performances in it. And uh, and she does a lot of things that I think people will find surprising, even though doing things that are quite surprising seems to be Miley's stock in trade. Yes. Um, so it was, just, it was very refreshing. She had a real, um, you know, so we had to do a Skype chat with her, which was, you know, biz bizarre, but equally immediately she was very, she's just very funny and she's yeah. got a good sense of the absurdity of the industry she's in. Yeah. She doesn't take things too seriously. Um, she doesn't take herself too she seriously herself and she certainly seriously. doesn't take the industry seriously. Yeah. And so she's just, she was like, and she had lots of thoughts and observations on it. So it was immediately you thought, oh, this is great. Um, she, yeah, she really responded to it. So I think it will surprise people. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I mean, the but tone of it is, is it's unusual and it goes to some dark places. It's also quite a romp. So it's just, it's a, an, another odd one for Black Mirror. I mean, they're all outliers in a way. Yeah. What's what we love about Black Mirror? Though? Yeah, it's fun. It's sarcastic and it's satirical and it's fun and it's a romp. But it, but it's got some sort of dark concepts mm. weaving through it. Bit of sadness mixed in there. Oh. Bit of sadness on your popcorn. Sweet and salt. That's, That's the best combination of popcorn, is isn't it? I'm fully in agreement with that. Mm. Thank you so much. We have run out of time. I could talk about this for the rest of the night, but sadly, we have run out of time. Thank you, Annabelle and Charlie. Thank, Thank you. you. That was Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones. I should point out at this point that for at least five minutes before that interview began, Charlie Brooker gave us a potted history of his life at Computer Exchange. He did. This was a, the nerdgasm yeah, for you. Which was an unexpected bonus. Yeah, as my technical assistant setting up the equipment. Yeah, yeah. He was very excited about the Computer Exchange. Yeah, it was, it, was off, it was off mic and off interview, so I don't feel I can reve reveal what he said, but it was quite shocking. It was amazing. <laughs> Why? Just, tell me. I, well, we'll tell you after the show. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. But can we just say, we, so they always do this with Black Mirror, by the way, so they embargo it. And I think the main reason we're not let, we would be reviewing it, you know, if we could. We would. In, in full. But I think what they, they, they don't like anyone giving anything away. Yeah. 
until it arrives on the day. So everyone's embargoed from full, fully reviewing it until it arrives okay. on Wednesday. What, what can we say? Well, I think what we can no, say... Can I just point out yeah. how irritating that is? Because, like... Well, sorry, but we like we, we James, stop laughing. We do this for a living, and we don't give out spoilers. So actually, maybe if if Netflix trusted us to do our jobs properly, and not just presumed we're going to go and spunk spoilers all over the internet. <laughs> but will we, welcome to my new regular spunk spoilers. You're right, but what we, I think we can say we can talk. We can say there's three new episodes. Yep. one of them is called Smithereens and stars Andrew Scott and Dimson and Damson Idris and Topher Grace. The second is called Rachel Jack and Ashley 2 and stars actual Miley Cyrus as actual a pop Miley star. Cyrus, not false Miley Cyrus. No, as a pop star. And it's quite a satirical look at the world of being a, pop, a global pop star in this yeah. day and age. And it's fascinating. And the third one is Striking Vipers with Anthony Mackie and Yaya Abdul-Mateen. And that is about um, kind of about the intersection of computer games kind of porn and sexuality and I'm saying it now and I think we can say this much it's fucking fascinating and I was so intrigued by that episode I kind of you get my intrigue which was genuine when I was talking to them in that interview yeah. and um, the Andrew Scott one is, a, is, a, is I think again because I'm not giving anything away I'm not reviewing it in full but I think we can say without breaking the embargo there is a, a really tense interesting focus scene which mostly takes place in his car he's a, like an Uber style driver so I'm saying that much about the look at boy playing fast and loose I'm, with no, the embargo no, no. Listen, on the edge. I've, I've talked to this back. So they don't want any people to give anything away, but that's why I'm saying, and it all arrives on Wednesday, and obviously... And you're saying Black Mirror fans, people should watch it. Will, Black Mirror fans will be will go watch it, and they'll be they'll love it. So should, we, should we have a pick of the week? What would the pick of the week be? Let's throw Black Mirror into the mix. What is the pick of the week? Oh, Boyd. it's a good week. Um, I mean, it's got to be Killing Eve. Yeah? yeah? Killing Eve. Killing Eve? Yeah. Yeah, I'm on for Killing Eve as well. Shall we have some Banshee? <laughs> shall we, shall we in, in the Banshee segment, which I feel obliged to explain for new listeners, is where we take an old show and recommend it for our current listeners? Well, is that the definition, James? We the... take an old show and recommend it? Wasn't it meant to be a sh- an <laughs> oh. old show you may not have heard the of? The amount of grief I took on Twitter this week for doing Bloody Marcella last week. Okay, so the Banshee was originally, as, as with the show Banshee, it was for, for us to pull out shows that maybe our listeners hadn't well, they might have heard of, but they hadn't seen. So it'd be something they almost certainly hadn't seen. So yes, like rare Marcella. it is, but not stuff completely. He did fucking Red Riding. Marcella. Marcella is Which a show also on ITV primetime. It isn't old. I feel like still as someone who didn't even know the name of her own banshee last week, you do not have the moral high ground here. You, you, we've written roughshod over. I mean, no one knows anymore whether it's a valid banshee right, or not. All right, but let right, me I'm just laying out the rules. The rules oh right now. God. Banshee, Banshee. The rules are Go these. On. It must, right, from now on, from now on, it must be a show that is no longer on the air. Right, okay, yeah. right. right. So that disqualifies Marcella instantly. Agreed. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it must be a show that's no longer on the air. It must be a show that is good. So you've got to be recommending it in yeah, some fashion. Sure. So it can't be something rubbish. <laughs> you know, ideally, something that's a bit old and a bit maybe obscure. But the. You the, mean the, ideally? Yeah, this These is are either fucking rules or they're not rules. <laughs> you can't just <laughs> like go, oh, so far we've got it should be good and no longer on the telly. All right. All right. <laughs> so rules. Continuing the rules of Banshee. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's. It's something that's no longer on. It's something we're recommending. Something old. Something that we assume people won't have seen. So it can't be. It can't, you can't like Banshee Deadwood, for example, because that would be ridiculous. Because it's. Or Marge- every- <laughs> oh, Shush, I, I mean- think you overstate how many people watch Marcella. Oh, you only go me for Red Riding. A lot of people have not heard of Red Riding. I'm sorry. Anyway, I'm going straight in because this this, this is. It. So I'm picking Stick damages. To the I'm picking damages. Right. I don't what? know. What you oh. can't fucking pick damages. 
damages. Banshee off. I'm 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 backing Boyd off. up. I'm backing Boyd up. I think damages, damages. is a solid it's choice. It's finished. It's finished. Not enough people watched it. It was on. No, 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 I'm sorry. There is a difference between most people didn't watch it and not enough people watched it. Didn't it air on a random channel? Yeah, it aired on BBC Two late at night. Yes, late at night, ten o'clock randomly. I thought it was on. I thought it was on. Oh, I can't wait to hear what Terry's banshee is. By the way, I'm going to Google this shit while we're. Wasn't it on like Living or something? Was it on BBC Two? It moved around. It was on BBC Two for a bit. Damages. Fucking. How can it be damn? I mean, Glenn Close. What is wrong with you? It's not about the quality of the cast. Some people haven't seen it. Oh my god, guys! I'm going to banshee. Uh, LA Law. How about that? I mean, that would be fine. Have you already banshee? You're, you're no, entire... I haven't banshee. You've banshee some incredibly famous shows. I can't believe. Oh, right, what's your sorry, one then? Sorry. Anyway, let have... me quickly say: Damages starred Glenn Close, Rose Burton, and it was really good. And Ted Danson, it was really good. And it was a legal thriller drama, which played with time a lot, and it was great. And you it was might very not see good. it. Yes. Thank you. Right, Terry, what's yours? Come on. In Living Colour. Oh, that's an incredibly famous sketch show. Yeah, African American sketch it. show that everyone's heard of. Watch it. There you go. I mean, we can all say that. Is that your mantra? Yeah. Is that it's done? now like find the most obscure show in the world ever. <sighs> I feel like Funny or Die has been torpedoed by you two. We've got fucking the Banshee segments now under siege. <laughs> I think. Under I think siege. we should. I think the Banshee segment is is is. Ended. Oh, I, I think editorial decision. it hasn't. Live editorial <laughs> decision. How, I think, how I many think. more shows are there left to Banshee? I'm, I'm, I'm going to say to you, ones I'm that no one's heard of. The only reason you don't want to do Banshee anymore is you have run out of shows to talk about. I've, I run out on week two. <laughs> I could keep going for at least another two years. I mean, if you're just listing shows that have no. been on the telly, then yes, you will there be able so to go. There are so many great shows of your that people Go have on. Not of seen. your. Of, of your. your. <laughs> oh my God. Guys. Shows, this the rule is me. shows of yours. <laughs> this reminds me of John Cleese going, I opined this week oh on Twitter. Oh my God, I opined. You, you opined on shows of yours. <laughs> <laughs> but when, like, when we first started doing this, like we chucked out a bunch. I remember I did uh, yeah. I did Ultraviolet and Kindred the Embraced in one week. Well, what are you doing this week anyway? All right, I am doing Justified. Okay. Maybe. Can I do that, Terry? Can I do Justified? Oh, you don't even know what it is. I think that instantly says it's right. Right, so just this was a crime drama with Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, there's something in this for you. Pay attention. So this was, it was based on a short story by Elmore Leonard. Uh, it was an FX show, ran for, I want to say, six seasons. It was 2010 it started, so it ended around 2015. Uh, and he was Deputy U.S. Marshal Raylan Givens, who was kind of known for this cowboy affectation that included, like, a Stetson. And uh, he's reassigned. He opined. He opined. Yes, he, opined. he is reassigned from years of yore to... Oliphant uh, opined about years of yore. <laughs> he is reassigned to Harlan, Kentucky, which is, like, his hometown, where his father is kind of embedded with the hillbilly mafia and his best friend, or former best friend, Boyd Crowley, Crowder is played Boyd. who is uh, Boyd Crowder, played oh, by the ever excellent Walton Goggins, oh. um, is kind of leader of the local crime gang, and he and the streets run with Oxy. Um, so they started out as a kind of like case of the week type thing. It was actually quite dull, uh, but they kind of abandoned that, and it became this really properly episodic show with these wide, series long storylines. Uh, Graham Yost was the showrunner who also worked on the Americans, and it had really, really good series villains. It had uh, Neil McDonough was in one, Michael T. Williamson, Margot Martindale was brilliant in this as well. But and this is notable. This is for you, Terry. Yeah. This may be the first time anyone saw Caitlin Deaver from uh, Booksmart. Really? Yes, because she played Loretta McCready in this. This is why when I watched Booksmart, I was like, oh my God, it's you, it's you from Justified. So there you go. <laughs> good. So that's Justified. It was very, very good. And you can pick up all six, all six seasons on DVD for 15 
pounds. <laughs> Brilliant. Classic. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, that's right. super cheap. Uh, and that was the end of this week's Banshee, a segment which, I've got to be honest with you, is not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and if you... Right, OK, I'm going to say this. Right, if you wish Banshee to continue, please tweet at oh Pilot TV Mag. No, in fact, don't. Please tweet at Terry underscore White with the hashtag Save Banshee. <laughs> 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 Terry, and Terry, inform her. Terry is throwing chocolate bites. <laughs> and inform her in 280 <laughs> characters. <laughs> Stop throwing sweets at me. Inform her in 280 characters or lefts why you Please think she's wrong. Too. Why she's Terry wrong likes. and Banshee should continue forever. Oh, if you think Banshee is bollocks, then tweet at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore white and at Boyd. Boyd, Boyd Hilton All right. and and tell James why Banshee should die. Okay, so tweet Terry with hashtag Save Banshee. I got a math of sweet, sorry. Or tweet me with the hashtag Banshee is bollocks and we will count them up at the end, the Banshee yes. is bollocks versus the Save Banshee and we will make a call as to whether or not Banshee continues. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fair enough. I could tell this either way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, James is masticating. Sorry. James is what? Masticating. Terry threw a chocolate bar at me, and instead of throwing it back at her, I just ate it. Um, Right. (laughs) I think at this point, we can pretty much say that is it (laughs) for another episode of the Pilot TV podcast. I mean, you know the drill by now. iTunes, rating, five stars, please. Thanks very much. Do follow us on Twitter at Our Names, because really, each of us only draws meaning from life thanks to the validation afforded by our social media audiences. Uh, Incidentally, this is why Boyd is so up all the time because if I had a hundy large Twitter followers I'd be fucking happy too hundy large hundy large he's got a hundy large followers what are you talking about that's how many followers you got on Twitter a hundy large really have I what is a hundy large did you never watch Californication no how much is a hundy large well it's funny enough clearly you weren't listening when I banshied it a few weeks ago (laughs) Uh, how many is a hundy large it's a hundred thousand I've got hundred thousand you do you've got a hundred thousand no it's about seventy eighty thousand oh oh poor you are you alright do you need a hug I'm going to check it out, Boyd. How many do we say? How many do you think you've got? I think I've got maybe about seventy-two thousand, maybe more than 70... you, Terry. More than you, Terry. You can talk. You're the loser in this room. <laughs> That's 10, why I'm so grumpy all the time. Seventy-seven and oh, a half okay. thousand, oh, Boyd. Okay. How many do you have, Terry? Uh, Twenty. <sighs> Twenty-two and a half. I may have James eleven or something. Numbers don't matter. Metrics don't matter. Can, can, every, can everyone Sorry, who follows Boyd please also follow me? I think that's only fair. And unfollow mm. Terry because she doesn't like Banshee. Oh. <gasps> oh. Yes. That's it. That's it. That Twitter wars. Let's do this. Right. I honestly need to get away from you two. So please uh, join us <laughs> next week. What a twat. <laughs> for a selection of yet-to-be-decided shows, but which will very likely include a Big Little review of Big Little Eye Season 2. And that is the truth. Pilot out. Do you want to order a sandwich or something? Anything you need to to do before, we, before we start? Pop tea in your face and watch your face burn. <laughs> <but, yeah. laughs> you got to put that in.